0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. I welcome all of you. James Weekly leading in the overflow. God bless your brother. Welcome to all of you. Franklin Campus, Pastor Eric, we love you. God bless all of you. Open your Bibles to the book of, I hate to do this to you, Haggai. Haggai. I I know that you probably should have started yesterday finding that one. Uh, It's pretty easy, actually. Why don't you start at the end of the Old Testament? Start at Malachi Go ahead and turn to the back of the Old Testament. Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai. There, you're, it's magical. that You can get there quickly. Book of Haggai. How many of you really just can't wait to get old? Let me see your hands. Can't wait? Nobody. Uh, nobody. Well, me and Stephen, actually. Me and Stephen, we're going to get old, aren't we, buddy? We're going to be awesome, Stephen. We're going to drive around with our turn signals on, just drive around town with the blinker going. Can't wait. I'm going to be one of those, I already realized this, I'm going to be one of those old men that wears my pants really high because they're creeping up. Are y'all noticing this as the years go by? My pants are getting higher and I know what this is about. I never understood why old men wore their pants up around their armpits. But I realize now that as you get older, you get a belly and a man has to decide, am I gonna wear my pants over my belly or under my belly? I'm gonna go over, just so you know. I'm gonna be coming up like this as as the years go by. I I absolutely sort of like the idea of, of getting older because I don't have any choice in the matter and neither do you. It's happening, baby. It's happening. We're all getting older. And honestly, in scripture, that's not supposed to be a bad thing. It's a marvelous thing. And it's an especially marvelous thing in the church. A marvelous thing to have senior saints in the church. Lots of times older folks get a reputation for being forgetful. And I know that's true. I know that sometimes older folks forget. They do forget to turn their turn signal off. They do forget what your name is. i will go through everybody's name and then get to yours. They forget those things. They forget which day is double coupon day at Kroger. They do forget those things. But I'm telling you, in my experience and probably yours as well, one of the most amazing things about certain older folks is their memory. What they do remember is amazing. Haggai was one of those old men who remembered. In our church's history, we have had folks like that. We have had older folks who were able to be people of vision. Now, I have to say it's not automatic. It's not guaranteed that any one of us gets older and then automatically we get wiser. It doesn't work that way unless you learn something from your life. Wisdom is not automatic and neither is vision, but often in scriptures and in our own lives as a church, it's the older folks who end up having the vision. They can see far in the future because they can also see far in, in the past. There's a woman named Sarah Sutherland who used to be a part of Woodburn Baptist Church. She was a part of our church for years and years and years. She was one of those older folks who, who had vision it was Sarah very, very early on when we were a small congregation in a, in a building across the street, an old 100-year-old church building. It was Sarah Sutherland, one of the first, who really got the vision of building a new church. It was Sarah who came up with that, Sarah. And it was Sarah who wanted, she just dreamed of, of making the sacrifice and giving her own land to build the church. And that's not what happened, but that was Sarah's vision. She wanted to give land. She would do anything, anything for the sake of the future of the church, But I'll never forget Sarah saying it was a beautiful thing. Sarah said she didn't mind giving land. She'd do anything that that the Lord wanted her to do for the sake of the church. She just didn't want to see some big empty field somewhere with a sign that said future home of Woodburn Baptist Church for years and years and years. She didn't want to see an empty field with a sign that said future home of. Sarah was the the midwife of vision for our church for a long, long time time Haggai was was one of those older folks because of what he could remember when Haggai was a boy he probably was deported from Israel from the only land that he ever knew he would have seen the war he would have seen the destruction of his city he would have seen his own home destroyed the temple destroyed the walls destroyed it would have been devastating for a boy and devastating for a boy like Haggai to be taken from his homeland and taken far away to a place called Babylon where he lived his whole life. He lived his whole life in Babylon, 50 something years he would have spent there in exile, dreaming of home. The amazing thing is, as as an older man, Haggai got to come home. The Israelites were allowed to return. And and after all of these years in exile, he gets to return back. But he goes back, of course, with a whole lot of younger folks who don't remember, who weren't there, who never saw the temple, who never knew what it was to, to worship in the presence of God's glory in that temple. They never knew. They would never understand. But Haggai remembered and Haggai understood they got back into their land, they got back, and of course their job, the only job there was, was to rebuild, and the temple was the first thing to rebuild. It had to be the priority, because in the Jewish mind, understand, that temple is the only place you can worship God, the only place to offer the sacrifices. The temple was priority, and so they started rebuilding the temple. They started, and they built for two years. They got the foundation, then they stopped. That old sign standing out there in front of that empty foundation said, future home of, and Sarah Sutherland would have hated it. And so did Haggai. So after something like 20 years of nothingness happening at the temple, uh, 20 years of nothing happening, Haggai steps up to preach. He steps up because he's an old man who remembers and it's awesome. Look at what he remembers. He remembers something about the glory of God. And since he knows what God has done, Haggai knows what God will do. And this is awesome. Haggai, we're going to read chapter 1, just get a little bit of his preaching. Into chapter 1, about the first uh, 8 verses. And we're going to jump to verse 12 and read through into chapter 2. Just follow along with me from the book of Haggai. This is good stuff. Hear the words of, of an old man of vision. On August 29th of the second year of King Darius' reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai, to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. By the way, I have no idea how to pronounce those names. I just say it fast. Just say it fast. And and it sounds smart, doesn't it? Just say it fast, baby. Nobody else can pronounce them either. Verse 2. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. The people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Notice, we're going to compare what the people say to what God says. The people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. It's been 20 years, but it's apparently not time yet. Verse 3. Then the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber and rebuild my house Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Verse 12. Verse 12, then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey. God's people began to obey. Underline that. That's the turning point. This is when everything changes, and it's still true today. You're listening to me? This is Vision Sunday at Woodburn Baptist Church. I want to tell you the secret to the future of our church. It's right there. God's people begin to obey. When God's people begin to obey God's voice, then God's will gets done and God gets the glory. Do you understand that? It's really that simple. It's nothing more complicated than that. God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. Would that that would happen today. When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm, that's verse 14, sparked the enthusiasm. The word there means he roused the spirit. He woke up their spirits, he woke them up. The Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. They began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of heaven's armies on September 21st, less than a month, that's a good revival of the second year of King Darius' reign. Then on October 17th of that same year, the Lord sent another message through the prophet Haggai. Say this to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of God's people there in the land. Verse 3. Does anyone remember this house, this temple, in its former splendor? How in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. But now the Lord says, be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people still left in the land, and now get to work. For I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. My spirit remains among you, just as I promised when you came out of Egypt. So do not be afraid. For this is what the Lord of heaven's Army says. In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth, the oceans and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And in this place, I will bring peace, shalom. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. Y'all remember the, the fire? Uh, Woodburn Baptist Church caught fire several years ago now. I, I don't remember exactly how many years. Five, was it five, six, something like that? Uh, lightning struck the roof. Uh, a neighbor driving by saw the fire, uh, called the fire department. Good fire department in Woodburn extinguished the fire. We had to totally redo the sanctuary. It It, it burned. Remember that day, it was devastating, just devastating uh, to see our church burned. Same thing happened, though, this past year uh, to a Salem United Methodist Church in outside of Alliance, Ohio. Salem is a, a, a very, very small church, a very small church at the first part of this year. I guess you could say it was a dying church. And everybody knew that. It was dwindling. They were down to just a few older folks who honestly hadn't done anything, hadn't changed anything, hadn't thought a new thought in years and years and years. That church, like a lot of churches, was just dead, dying. But on March 13th, for some reason, and nobody knows why, and nobody knows who, but somebody pitched a firebomb through one of the old stained glass windows at Salem United Methodist Church outside of Alliance, Ohio on March 13th this year, and the church burned, just burned to the ground. It, it, It was destroyed. The people who loved the church were very few, but they loved their church and they were devastated. In the newspaper article that told the story at first, they would talk about just the really sick feeling, the physical sick feeling that they would experience as they went and saw the ashes, their church in ruins. But it got worse before it got better. Again, that they're Methodists, so being Methodists, that they couldn't just decide to rebuild. They had to go back to the the, the denomination and and get permission and and funds to to rebuild. And the denomination really wasn't all that convinced that the church was worth rebuilding. Can you imagine hearing those words? But, But the folks were wise, they're good stewards, and they simply said, we're not sure that it's a good investment. We're not sure that it's worth it to take God's good money, take 800,000 to a million dollars and build you a new building just so you can all grow old and die in it. The church was dwindling. Their plan was perhaps to take that church and merge it with another church. But the bottom line was, we're not exactly sure that your church is worth it. Not convinced that your church is worth saving. Can you imagine that? But honestly, it's the best thing that ever happened to Salem United Methodist Church at the first of this year because they heard those really strong words and they had to think brand new thoughts and they had to ask themselves a real serious question. What is it about this church that's worth saving? I want Woodburn Baptist Church to consider that question for just a moment right now. What if this church did burn to the ground again? What if it burned to the ground? I'm really asking you, what if we never built it back? Who would miss us? Would the community that we serve, would they miss us? If Woodburn Baptist Church just ceased to exist, how would the world be different? What kind of work for Christ would not get done? Who out there who needs this church would somehow suffer because our church ceased to exist? It's actually a pretty good question. Because honestly, if the only reason that we exist is for ourselves, I'm not sure this church is worth it. If the only reason that we think it's worth having a church at Woodburn Baptist Church is so that we have a place to go on Sunday morning, so that we have something to call our own, then I'm not exactly sure it's worth it. You could strike the match right now. I'm not exactly sure that that that's a worthy reason to have a church just for the people who love it and go there. Churches are expected to make a difference. Woodburn Baptist Church, if if we're worth anything at all, we're only worth the difference that we can make in the world for Christ. We have to be making a difference. Salem United Methodist Church had not made a difference for years and years and years, and they were just a few more funerals away from dying anyway. So what's the difference if the church burns to the ground? What's the difference if the church is already dead? Those old people did an amazing thing. They got together in the ashes and they made a choice. They made a choice not just to rebuild, not just to live, but to grow, to come back to life. They made a choice to become a church that made a difference again. Right now, they're rebuilding. It's amazing, they're rebuilding. But before they would rebuild, they came up with a 12-page plan for making a difference. God bless them. They're rebuilding. It's the same job that Haggai and his uh, neighbors faced back in, in in their day. The, the task of rebuilding. The whole land, everything was devastated. It was all in ruins. The temple itself was in absolute ruins. And they all had come back now, thousands and thousands of them actually. It's a big number. They've come back now to rebuild. And Haggai is one of those old men, one of the few old enough to have known what the land used to be. Old enough to still have stories about worshiping in the temple. Old enough to know what it was like to dwell there in the midst with God's glory. Haggai could tell those stories, but I don't know if his people could possibly understand or or listen. How could they understand? How could they fathom what it would have been like when all they're standing, all they're seeing is just rubble, ruins. But they come back with the number one priority to rebuild the temple. Now, this isn't exactly the same as when one of us decides to build a new church. Although church building programs love the book of Haggai, we just love to drag it out. But you've got to understand, this is so different. The priority of building God's house, the temple, is so different. There is no other place for the Jews, no other way to worship God outside of the temple. As long as the temple is in ruins, nobody's making sacrifices. The priests are not making offerings. Nothing is happening. God is not being worshiped and God's glory is not revealed among his people. This temple has got to be built. And they get started. They really do. They start out with all of their priorities in place. They get started with all of the best intentions and they get going on that foundation and they work for two years and then they quit. They work two solid years and then they quit. Why did they quit? Well, their priorities shifted. Their priorities shifted back to themselves. You understand? God gets glory when the temple is built, but honestly, sometimes we prefer to do things that keeps the glory a little bit closer to home. You understand? We like to do things. We prefer to make our priorities the things that are easier for us. We like things that are easy and we tend to like things that benefit us a little more directly. And so what happened in Haggai's day is the same thing that happens to us as God's people today. We often will have some sort of revival, some sort of moment when we line up our priorities, but our priorities have a terrible way of always shifting back toward ourselves. My priorities, your priorities, tend to slide back to the things that are easy and the things that benefit us more directly. The things that bring us glory. I know, when I say that, that doesn't ring true for you. You don't think of yourself as a person who wants glory. I don't think any of you have ever auditioned for American Idol. You don't want glory. You're not trying to be famous. You're not thinking about getting attention on yourself. I know, I understand. But there is still that tendency in all of us just to love uh, impressive things and to love magnificence and just to love glory. And God made us that way. We all seek glory. We seek magnificent things. That's why people go to the Grand Canyon and just stand there in awe. We love that feeling of of being in, in the presence of something impressive, something large. The thing is, we tend to seek the wrong kind of glory. We tend to seek magnificence and we tend to seek to be impressed in the ways that we're not intended to seek. We seek the wrong kind of glory. Back in the mid-40s when the World War II was over, Joe DiMaggio had been fighting. Joe DiMaggio, the baseball player, had been fighting in the war. And when the war was over, he came back to the Yankees, came back to play ball again. But his very first day back in Yankee Stadium, he didn't go join the team. He just went and sat in the stands with his four-year-old son, Joe DiMaggio Jr., four-year-old son, junior, Joe DiMaggio, junior. He just went to the game with his son. He's Joe DiMaggio, one of the most famous Yankee players ever, but he's just sitting in the stands watching the game with his son. Very, very quickly on that mezzanine level of of the stadium, people begin to recognize it's Joe DiMaggio. He's sitting in the stands. And so people started to chant, Joe, Joe, Joe DiMaggio. Joe, Joe, Joe DiMaggio. And soon the whole stadium is chanting, Joe, Joe, Joe DiMaggio. And he's just sitting there trying not to be uh, uh, any kind of attention, trying not to be the center of attention. Sitting there with his son, Joe DiMaggio Jr. And the whole stadium now just shouting, Joe, Joe, Joe DiMaggio. Joe, Joe, Joe DiMaggio. So Joe DiMaggio looks over at his son just to see what his son's going to do because it could have been scary for a four-year-old. But the the little boy was sitting there and his eyes were wide and his mouth was open and he just stood up (laughs) and looked around the stadium. And then he looked over his daddy and said, Daddy, everybody knows my name. (laughs) He was Joe DiMaggio Jr., do you understand? Everybody's chanting, Joe DiMaggio, everybody knows my name, Daddy. No, (laughs) no. No, it seemed like it was all for him it It wasn't all for him, but that's our tendency to. Because when we stay near to the glory of God, when we serve this God of such glory, we sometimes sort of stand there and we are able to bask in his glory. And sometimes we are there when God does his thing and God does amazing things. And sometimes some of that glory reflects back on us and we tend to think that it's for us. We tend to think that that glory comes from us. We begin to really enjoy what we consider to be some sort of self-glory. And we're all very, very prone to that. And especially in church life. Woodburn Baptist Church has grown through the years, and that's exciting, and it has everything to do with the vision of people long before we got here. Do you understand that? The vision of folks way before we all got here had to do with prayers and sacrifices made by people that you don't even know. We've, we've preached their funerals now. Those folks are gone. We owe it to them, but more importantly, it's not even about them. It's not even about their sacrifice. It's not even about their prayers. It has everything to do with God. Everything to do with God, the only one who is glorious, the only one who is powerful, the only one who is majestic, the only one worthy of worship and praise. It has everything to do with God. It is not about our glory. It is not about ourselves. And this is the problem that Haggai is trying to address when he comes out preaching as that old man with his pants up to here. The people have to understand that there's something profoundly broken in their lives, something profoundly spiritually wrong. If all they're interested in is their own selves, if the only thing they're ever going to be faithful to is themselves, if the only house they care about building is the one they live in, something is wrong. That's why Hey Guy preaches. But notice the message, notice what God says. Please listen to this because this explains something about your life. The thing about self-glory, the thing about living your life only being faithful to yourself, the thing about that is there's never enough of it. If you're craving some sort of glory or comfort or satisfaction for yourself, if you want to put yourself in the center of everything, you've got to understand the only thing that self-glory brings is insecurity. This is what the Lord says here. It's what he says. Notice in verses 6 and 7, you've planted much, but you harvest little. You eat, but you're never satisfied. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you can't stay warm. Your wages disappear as though you're putting them in pockets filled with holes. That sounds like the week some of you just had. You work, and you work, and you work, and you buy, and you buy, and you buy, and you earn, and you save, but somehow it never adds up. Do you want to know why? It's because the only thing you're interested in buying in your life is glory for yourself. It's all you think about. You want a life with yourself at the center, with your family at the center, and that will never bring you the glory that you crave, and it will never ever bring you the security that you need. Self-glory brings insecurity. This is what the Lord says. Insecurity. Obviously, we've got to seek a different kind of glory. As individuals, as Woodburn Baptist Church, we have to seek the glory that comes from God. We have to make the things of God the most important things in our lives. We have to make God's house. We have to make God's work. We have to make God's glory the center of everything. It's the only way our lives will work. The only way it's going to come together. Did did you understand? Let's talk a little bit about the future of our church for a moment. Let's talk about the direction from here. God has laid it on our hearts that, that we grow, not so much that we grow for our own glory, but, but we grow to reach more people because God loves people, because there's a world that needs to know God and needs to know the message of God's glory and God's salvation. It's the reason that we're still here. If it wasn't important to reach the world, then God could snatch us on out and take us to heaven. We have work to do, very, very important work. And the work involves worshiping God and serving Him and putting Him first, but then spreading the word to all of the world. We've got to reach more people. We've been talking for years about the the burden that God has placed upon our church's heart to plant churches, to plant more churches. And that continues to be the driving vision of our church from the Lord, I think. That's what we're going to do. God wants us, wants us to to grow, wants us to stay healthy, but He wants it for His own glory. It's never going to be about us. So how do we do that? How do you grow? How do you get bigger? Y'all know about Chick-fil-A? Yeah, how many fans, Chick-fil-A fans? Yeah, man, that's good stuff. That is so good, Chick-fil-A. Truett Cathy the founder of Chick-fil-A, a, a very, very good Baptist Christian man in his day and a great businessman. He had several principles of leadership that, that matter, but I wanna talk about just one of those because it's amazing. Truett Cathy was becoming an older man. He was in, in his 80s. Chick-fil-A was really booming, but they really faced their first competition from a restaurant chain called Boston Market. You remember Boston Market? How many of you ever ate at a Boston Market? How many of you have eaten one lately? Yeah, I didn't think so. Yeah, and this is why. Boston Market became obsessed with getting bigger. Boston Market became obsessed with having more restaurants, restaurants everywhere, and they just wanted to be a a big, huge restaurant chain. And so Chick-fil-A had real competition, And so the young executives under Truett Cathy became obsessed in Chick-fil-A with how do we make Chick-fil-A bigger? How do we make Chick-fil-A more important? How do we put a chicken sandwich in the hand of everybody in America? How do we get bigger? And they spent a year and a half of time and energy. They spent all of this time trying to answer the question, how do we make Chick-fil-A bigger? One day there was a board meeting and Truett Cathy, the old man, was present. And all of those young executives were beginning to talk and argue and share their ideas. And they were getting louder, all talking at once about how to make Chick-fil-A bigger, how to make Chick-fil-A more important, how to beat Boston Market, how to make more restaurants, how to make it bigger and bigger and bigger. And Truett Cathy just sat there and then he started pounding on the table. Pounding on the table. The 80-year-old man pounding on the table. It's his restaurant chain, remember? He can pound on the table. Pounds on the table. And then he says, listen to me. I'm tired of you talking about how to make Chick-fil-A bigger. Why don't you worry about making Chick-fil-A better? And then the customers will demand that we get bigger. Interesting concept. Better before bigger i think there's something very christ-like about that and i want to say that right now at woodburn baptist church i would like this to be our new direction i'm not saying that we're shrinking back from growing and trying to do everything god wants us to do i'm just saying let's don't worry about the bigger part let's don't worry about that if god wants us to grow then god will let us grow that's not our part That's not our part. I do believe our part is to worry about becoming better. And when I say better, understand, I'm not saying that we gotta be better than other churches. That's not my concern. That's about self-glory, and we're not doing that, remember? We're not talking about being better than other churches. That's crazy, that that's the biggest waste of time. We're not competing or comparing to other churches. Not about being better than other people. or It's it's only about being better than ourselves. Better than we are now. We want ourselves to grow deeper and and more solid. I think that is where our energy has to go. If we have a future at all, I think it should be a future of all of us becoming better Christians, better disciples, better deacons, better teachers, better at everything God calls us to do and to be. We got to become better. If God wants us to be bigger, God will take care of that. We'll leave that to his part. Do you understand what I'm saying? God wants us simply to be better. We need to become the kind of church that if God wanted to multiply, he'd choose our church to make more churches like this one. Do you understand? Better. We've got to grow deeper. We said from the very beginning that we didn't want to be a church that grew a mile wide and a quarter of an inch deep. But we always risk that danger. As we grow, we seem to become more shallow. We've got to go back into the deep end. Do you understand? We're not going to be a shallow church. We're not going to be a church about self-glory. We're not going to be a church that has its priorities out of place. And our priority is to seek the glory that comes from God in our own lives and in our church. To seek the glory that comes from Him. That's something like the sermon that Haggai preached. And the people listened. And an amazing thing happened when they listened. I called your attention to it as we read. Notice what he says. In the middle of the building, standing there among the ruins, Haggai has a message from the Lord and he says, look at this. Does anybody remember what this temple used to be like? What's it look like to you now? It must look like nothing at all. Interesting. What it looks like is years and years of their work. What it looks like is their life's purpose. But when God speaks, he says, look at it, it must look like nothing at all. But wait, what's the promise here? But wait. God says, you continue to build, you be strong, you get to work, and what does God say He's gonna do? He says, I will fill this place with glory. Do you understand? All the building that they do, all the sacrifices they make, they can never fill that place with glory. They can't do it because they don't have glory. But God says, you obey me, you finish the work, and I will fill this place with my glory. I'll do that part. God does the glory part. We do the work part. Do you understand? We do the work part. God fills it with glory. And God says the future glory is going to be so much brighter than the past glory. The best is always yet to come with God. you understand that? That's the message. And an amazing thing happens when the message comes. The scripture says that the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of the people. He roused their spirit. He woke them up. It's like a revival. There is no future for Woodburn Baptist Church until this kind of rousing happens in your heart, in your heart. It can't happen apart from you. We are God's house together. We're the church together. It can't be something that only the staff or the pastors or some of the women do. This has got to be us together and God has got to rouse your spirit. God has got to wake you up, you personally. Your life has to be different. Your priorities have to be put back in line. Do you understand what can happen when you start making your priorities God's priorities? Do you understand how different your life would be? Have you read the announcement about the financial peace groups? We had two groups, small groups. One met here at Woodburn Campus. One met at the Franklin Campus. They met for 13 weeks to try to become better stewards of the money that God's entrusted to them. They were trying to realign their priorities. In 13 weeks, did you read the results? Those two small groups from Woodburn Baptist Church, in 13 weeks, they either saved or paid down in debt over $70,000. Did y'all hear me? Two small groups of people in 13 weeks, they either saved or paid down in debt $70,000. Now, if we'd asked him at the beginning of 13 weeks, do y'all have an extra $70,000? They all would have said no, no way. They didn't see it. They didn't have it. But an amazing thing happens when you just begin to focus, when you just begin to pour a little bit of intensity into the right priorities. An amazing thing happens because when you do your part, God adds his part. And what God adds is always more important than what you add. Something's got to happen to rouse our spirits as a church. Something has got to happen to wake you up, to wake me up, so that we become better Christians, better disciples, better at everything God has called us to do and be. So here's the secret. Honestly, here it is right here. It, it, you find it in the book of Haggai. It starts out, be strong. Haggai has a two-part message, be strong. And that's his first part, be strong, be strong. The second part comes later, but the first part is be strong. Be strong. You've got to sort of stand up, my sister, my brother. You've really got to step forward. You've got to step forward with some some strength in faith. And there's really no shortcuts to that. There's no easy way to get stronger in your faith. It's going to be a daily thing for you if it happens at all. And it's going to take some discipline and some work on your part. And it's only really going to take a realignment of your priorities. It's going to take a level of commitment that maybe once you had, but you've fallen back from. I want to call you back to commitment. I want you to begin praying, even as I speak now, that the Holy Spirit will rouse your spirit, will wake you up and begin to bring you back to a kind of commitment that perhaps you've left behind. It's the only way our church moves forward. At our church, we talk about commitment in a very simple way. And and honestly, don't be turned off by this. Just listen to it. We talk about the triple two challenge, the the triple two challenge. And and it's not any sort of scorecard. I'm not saying this is how you become a Christian. Uh, I'm not saying that you necessarily find the triple two challenge in your Bible. It's just one of the ways that we talk about the Christian life at Woodburn Baptist Church. And we're trying to allow you some way to measure your own kind of commitment, some sort of goal in your own life to move toward. And so this is what we're talking about. Can you help me out, Chad? Triple two challenge is very, very simple. There are three different areas of discipleship, three areas in your life that we're asking you to commit to. And they're very, very simple. And all of these are biblical. The first one is worship. At Woodburn Baptist Church, we're asking you to spend two hours every week in worship, two hours a week in worship. Now you're doing really good. All of you within the sound of my voice, you're spending an hour right here. God bless you. This is your first hour. This is worship. But understand at Woodburn, Chad, uh, it's uh, it's it's driving us crazy up there. Yeah. In worship, Woodburn Baptist Church, we really offer three different opportunities through the week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And we're asking you sort of at a minimal level to give us two out of three. It's a place to start. Two hours of worship out of every single week. That's not too much. Some of you watch more Law and Order than that. Two hours in worship. You can't grow as an individual if you don't worship. And worship requires you're coming into the presence of God's people and exchanging gifts with the body of Christ. You really can't do this on the boat by yourself on the lake. Do you understand? Worship is about God's people together. Two hours a week in worship. It's sort of a place to begin, a a minimal standard. Two hours in worship. The next of the two is two hours in study, two hours in Bible study. Now, again, Woodburn Baptist Church, we offer an hour every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, both campuses. Find a group, find a study group. Find a group of people that you can read the Bible with and a good teacher who can help you understand what you're reading. Find at least maybe an hour a week where you're with a group and we offer those groups here at church. Find a group or start a group in your house. Do whatever it takes, but get an hour with the group. And then I would ask you to spend that second hour by yourself every single week. Every week, two hours in Bible study, perhaps one with the group and the other by yourself. If you would only spend 10 minutes a day 10 minutes a day reading your own Bible and saying your own prayers, you'll satisfy this commitment. Two hours a week in worship, two hours a week in Bible study, and two hours a week in service. You can't grow if you don't serve. You can't grow if you don't work. There are plenty of opportunities around the church to work, and I want you to consider some of those opportunities, but please listen to me. It's not all about working at church. If you spend all of your time in service here in the walls of this church, then I don't think you're following all of God's purposes for your life. We've got to serve out there. We as God's people, we have to get out and get to know our neighbors. We have to be serving up and down our street. We have to get out and work in our school, in the place where we work. We can't grow if we don't serve. So find a way two hours every week to worship, to spend some time in the word, and to serve. If you were to think back right now to some time in your life when you really were growing as a Christian, A time in your life when you were closer to God than you are right now. A time in your life when you loved him more passionately and followed him more closely. I would say that these three things were all a more important part of your life than they are now. So in order to have what you once had, you gotta do what you once did. You understand? That's why we're calling you back. The triple two challenge. Spend two hours every week in worship. Two hours every week in Bible study. Two hours every week... In service, it's the way to grow. I don't think you can grow if you don't do these things. Haggai had a very simple message. It's amazing. Sort of two parts. Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all you people. Be strong. Be strong. Be strong, he says. And then the last part, now get to work. Be strong and get to work. Woodburn Baptist Church, we got to be strong. we got to be better. We are what we are, but on a lot of Sundays, let's be honest, what we are is mediocre. What we are is often very lukewarm. Our commitment extends to the level to which it doesn't really call for any real sacrifice on our part. We've got to get past that. We've got to get back to the place where we will make any sacrifice, make any offering, do whatever it takes to serve God because we're doing his work. We're working for his glory and everything we do is about him. I think Woodburn Baptist Church has a future. I think Woodburn Baptist Church is going to go in an exciting direction, but that direction needs to be in the direction of deeper, deeper in your life and in my life, deeper. So you listen listening to me, church? Be strong, be better, be deeper, and get to work. Pray with me. God, the glory is not for us. It's not from us, has nothing to do with us. But Lord, we thank you that when we obey you and when we stay close to you, it's a glorious life. The blessings are glorious. Lord, we see your glory reflected everywhere. And for that, we give you praise. We praise you. God, we pray for the future of our church. Truly, we do not know what today holds or tomorrow or the future for us. But God, we commit ourselves to being in your presence and in your will today. God, we don't know exactly what you would have us to do tomorrow, but today we will be making ourselves ready and making ourselves better and making ourselves more committed by the power of your spirit, Lord. None of it comes from us. It all comes from you. But God, we do want to be better for you and we want to grow deeper for you and we want to love you and serve you and spend our time in your word, Lord, so that we can do whatever it is you would have for us to do. God, I pray for old people and young people in this congregation to begin dreaming dreams again and seeing a vision for this church that's not about us, a vision, Lord, that is audacious and a vision, Lord, that would be completely impossible outside of your intervention and your power. Oh God, I pray that we would stop spending so much time on our own houses, so much time focused on our own lives. Help us, Lord, to focus instead on your life, the life of God, the life of the Spirit, the life, Lord, that you would have us to live, the life that you want us to share with the world out there. God, the future is in your hands. But God, more importantly, let our lives today be in your hands. Some of us need waking up. Some of us need our spirits to be roused. Some of us, oh God, are very lukewarm, very mediocre, very backslidden. Lord Jesus, bring us back to worship, to the Bible, back to serving you. Help us, Lord, to be strong. Help us, Lord, to get to work for the glory of Christ and in his name. Amen.